Joel, ¿estás listo? Let's do it. Let's do it, señor. All right. Well, let's get started. Joel, thank you so much for accepting my invite, um, for the opportunity to share a little bit of Mia's story. Um, definitely the opportunity to talk about the, uh, the current things that you're doing, that you're helping other parents that maybe find or found themselves in the same situation. I'm very grateful for today. Um, again, thank you for your time and for, for allowing me the opportunity to share your story, sir. Well, Eli, I just want to say thank you, brother. Thank you for reaching out to me. Um, it means a lot to me, you know, everything that I've been doing. And of course, we're going to be going into this a little bit more in depth uh, a little later. But just thank you for the invitation. It's a real honor to be here. I, I, I love to, you know, spread positivity and, and uh, share my story. All right. Well, thanks again. So let's get started, senor. Before we start Mia's story, talk to us a little bit about you. I know, and we were talking about it a little bit off camera. <laughs> you have a, such an interesting life. Talk to us a little bit about who the Bearded Ref is, please. Well, the Bearded Ref is uh, a nickname that I got, and I'll get into that a little bit more right now. Uh, I am. I was born here in El Paso, and I grew up in Sunland Park, where I currently live right now. Graduated from Santa Teresa High School in 1997, already been a while. Went to college and MSU right afterwards. I currently work in ophthalmology surgery and I've been doing that for, this is my 19th year already. Um, but in my early 20s, I kind of <clears throat> got into my little rebel years, you know, of being a musician. And I had the opportunity in my early 20s to actually tour with uh, A.B. Quintanilla with the Cumbia Kings. What? Yeah, so I was... Uh, I was a part of the Cumbia Kings, and actually later on throughout the years, I, I had an opportunity to play with A.B., DJ Kane. <clears throat> I played with uh, Grupo Control, Chicos de Barrio from Torreón, Coahuila. So I had an opportunity to, you know, I grew up in a church. My dad was a preacher, so I would always go to church, and I started playing drums when I was five years old. And <clears throat> from there, it just kind of escalated, and then I did my my tenure in the music business and that just kind of you know it was fun it was fun it was really fun it was my early to mid 20s so i was having a blast and even up until i don't know five six seven years ago i was still kind of doing reunion shows you know with some of these bands but it was just here and there um i really got into i i, I started doing uh, martial arts when i was seven years old and i kind of just grew up with that and it became a a passion of mine um I, I, I competed, you know, I did jujitsu, I did kung fu growing up, I did karate, and it's just something that kind of turned into the passion of what I was doing here recently. With COVID, of course, everything has been kind of put on hold on, but <clears throat> that kind of led me to uh, wanting to be an MMA referee. So I actually started, I played football in high school, and I started refing high school football here in El Paso, and I did that for about 12 years. Until one day, just uh, watching fights, and again, growing up, both uh, myself and my two younger brothers are martial artists, and one day, just watching UFC, I said, I wonder what it takes to be a MMA referee, and I Googled it, and it told me there's three schools, one by John McCarthy, one by Herb Dean, one by Dan Mergliata, <clears throat> two of them are in California, one of them is in New Jersey, and I applied. I applied, and they actually did call me back, and they looked at my background, they saw that I had done martial arts, and um, they did my background check and everything, and I was actually put on hold. Uh, it was like a three-year, a three-year waiting list to to go to those uh, to that academy. Luckily for me, <clears throat> about eight weeks before the academy started, which is every April, there was somebody that couldn't make it. So 
I mean, these are people, I went to the academy with people from Japan, people from Brazil, from all over the world. And luckily, I was the closest one to California because I'm here in Texas. So they called and they said, hey, you know, we did have a last minute drop off. If you want it, you know, you can go ahead and come in and, and go to uh, the academy this year. And I went ahead and did that in 2014. And it was right there where I became uh, ABC certified. ABC is the Association of Boxing and commission and combative sports <clears throat> that is what regulates and sanctions all these fights that you see on tv and in 2014 i um i got my abc certification first state i started to work with was in new mexico and then i started doing a lot of fights here in town where they would have them at the uh at the old um so the tiwa center <coughs> the tiwa center about? Yeah, yeah that one that one right there i forgot what it's called but it's not that it's not an actual speaking rock in Isleta. It's it's a little further down. The Socorro Entertainment Center. Oh, okay. <clears throat> yeah, that okay. one. And we started doing fights there. Um, and then I, I I I the way the bearded ref came about is I started we were talking about this off camera. We, we started <laughs> with uh, No Shave November, right? So I started to let my beard grow, and it was right there and then that I kind of started getting a little busier as far as refing fights. Well, I was one of the newer refs, and people didn't really know my name. So that's when they started saying, hey, we like the way the, the bearded the bearded ref, the bearded ref, we like the way he works. And it was it went from the bearded ref to the bearded ref to people started saying, hey, you're the bearded ref. And from there, I just said, okay, I'm, I'm not going to shave. <laughs> and I, <clears throat> I kept the beard, and that's how I was known as the bearded ref. And then it was about a year into that. No, not even a year, about a, about six months that I was approached by a beard club and they said, you know what, we like uh, a lot of, you know, influencers and people that, you know, are doing good things for the community. And uh, they saw me on, on TV. They saw me refing a fight on TV. And when they mentioned I was from El Paso, they looked me up. And that's when they said, hey, you know, we have a beard club and this is what we do. We're charity based. We just do charity all over. We have chapters all over the world, literally all over the world. And we belong to the West Texas chapter. We want to see if you're interested. And I said, yes, I went ahead and talked to them. I became a hopeful. And about six months later, I was patched up as, a, as an actual villain. Uh, this is back in 2016, right? This is back in 2016, correct. And from there, I became a part of the Bearded Villains. Excuse me, which currently right now, I, I'm one of the officers. And and that's how, how that came about. And in the Bearded Villains, usually everybody has a nickname. They really don't go by their first name. So my, my nickname is Ref. So that's a lot of people out here know me by Ref. A lot of the brothers actually didn't even know my real name <laughs> they would call me ref and ref so i was like now i answer to ref you know or joel uh either way or joel like i've been called worse so yeah so now i answer to both of those and, and that is currently where i stand right now I, I belong to this worldwide brotherhood of bearded men which we are charity based it's called the bearded villains a uh, great group of guys and uh we we just try and do a lot for our community here we try and do a lot for our community um, yeah, so that's that's pretty much how that came about, and that is where I'm at here. Wow, and and we'll talk about them again. I know they were a big part of your support system, um, and we'll, we'll we'll go back to that. But let's go back to ref, because one of the things you share with me off camera is how difficult it is to become a ref. Tell us the number of actual uh, <clears throat> active refs that that are still active since uh, from your class, and also in Texas and worldwide or in the United States. How many refs we have? 
Right. So <clears throat> you see, we again, we're sanctioned by the Association of Boxing and Commission and Combative Sports. So um, it, it's it's actually very difficult to to even be accepted into these programs. And the passing rate is 50 percent. Not that they want to fail people. It's just that people, big names such as Herb Dean, John McCarthy, Dan Mergliata, if they give you your certificate, they're putting their name out there. So if you go ref a fight and you mess up, they'll be like, well, who certified you? Yeah, it was Herb Dean. So, of course, <clears throat> they want to take every precaution necessary and they want to just kind of get like the best to be working out there. Uh, only 20 people get accepted a year to these courses. And out of that, obviously, we have a 50 percent um, passing rate. In my class, which was 2014, 12 of us finished. And currently right now, it's only me and another referee from that class that are currently still active and licensed with ABC. Um, there's only uh, 28 of us uh, nationwide across the U.S. So whenever you see any fight fans that you see out there, you see Jason Herzog, you see um, <clears throat> Herb Dean, you see Mike Beltran, you see all these big name referees. Every two years, we all get together because we have to recertify every two years. So we are, are we are all under the same page. We all have a group chat. We all still meet uh, every four to six weeks and do some online training since we can't be doing any actual fights right now. So yeah, there's there's about 28 of us referees that are licensed in the in the U.S. Senor, so impressive. We're talking about it for at least 30 minutes before we started recording the podcast. And that, and that, and you didn't tell me that you were also belong, that you were part of the Cumbia Kings. Because yeah. that would have been like a lot of other questions for that. And, and I appreciate you sharing that. Now, just we have to acknowledge that that beer for sure. I was telling Joel before starting that I also share a similar story that I also started um, letting my beer grow since uh, No Shave November, but mine since 2017. <laughs> It's getting there. Yeah, yeah, for it's a, sure. Yeah, yeah. You for need sure. a couple of years. Yeah, I was thinking maybe we need another podcast for that beard, sir, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. All right. Well, thank you for sharing that. Um, I really uh, want to get into Mia's story. Mm -hmm. uh, when I looked at you up online, when I started following you, it was a couple months back. And as soon as I started following you and knowing a little bit about your story, um, I was hooked um, because... I mean, we'll, we'll get into the details, what happened and what you do right now, which is extremely important. And I remember saying, well, you know what? He has to be one of the first guests. But to be quite honest with you, that wasn't ready. Cause, and, and what I mean by that is it's a lot of pressure. It's not only like having a, a casual conversation because the fact <coughs> is, just like you said before, we don't know who we're going to impact. If, if, if maybe I don't do a good job doing my research, talking about it, because I want to be very respectful to you, to the story, and to other parents. So that's why I was like, you know, not not yet. And as I was going through and as I had my, my other guests and a little bit more experience, and I continue following you, checking some of your episodes, like, you know what, I think it's now a good time. So that's why I'm extremely thankful, um, again, of you accepting for you to just share your story. So let's get into it. Um, senor, um, Every three minutes, a child gets diagnosed with childhood cancer in the United States. That number is extremely alarming, but I'll be honest with you. As far as me goes, I can't talk about other people, but those are things that we see on Facebook, on TV, and to be honest with you, maybe we might stop scrolling for like a minute, uh, and we'll just think like, oh, well, that sucks. Well, poor her, poor him, the family members, everything, but guess what? We just keep scrolling. And it's until it happens to, to us, to someone very close, not even someone that we may know, that's when we take a different approach. So 
one of my my intentions with this podcast is not only like sharing the story, but it's also I want to be able to like do something about it, right? So that's why it's very important about as far as you sharing the story and also telling us like what is it that we can do <coughs> so we don't wait until that happens because that inevitably will happen and you'll become part of the family like 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 you say in your in your podcast, but something that we can proactively do. So with that said, Tell us about uh, about Mia's story, when it started, when she was diagnosed, um, what type of, of, of kid she was, if you don't mind starting starting us off. No, no, of course not. I thank you so much. And just, uh, man, it, I, I was that type of parent, unfortunately. You know, yeah, we do scroll. We see these big name hospitals that we see commercials for, right, that you donate 19 bucks, 17 bucks, whatever a month. <clears throat> And you see happy little bald kids running around and you think that that's childhood cancer, right? So, uh, again, nobody, no parent is a childhood cancer parent until they tell you your child has cancer. And, you know, that that's going to play a little bit, you know, a big part further in the story. But, <clears throat> yeah, my my little girl, so I was actually, me and her mom were together. Her mom is actually, was also a MMA fighter here so that's actually how we met we actually met at the gym and we uh you know we started dating <clears throat> we got married about a year after and then uh here came mia you know and it was actually unexpected because her mom was actually getting ready uh to, to a fight and that's when she went to go get her blood work done um and that's when she found out that she was pregnant so mia came in um she had a healthy uh you know pregnancy mia was born in july of 2015 and nothing, nothing to it. You know, a regular baby born. They told us she was healthy when she was born. We got to take her home the day after. So um, life was good. You know, it was my my first child. I tell people I always I wanted to be a, a, a dad since I was like in my 20s. But because I was touring a lot and I was out of town a lot, I just I just wasn't ready. I said, when I'm ready, I, I know I want to give my 100 percent attention to you know, to to being a dad. How old were you, if you don't mind me <clears throat> interrupting you? No, of course not. I am 41 now, so when Mia was born, I was 36. I think that makes a big difference, to be honest with you. I had my, my kids when I was very young. Okay. And, and, and later on, even though I have my kids, and, and again, one of my, well, my daughter lives with me, the fact is that, like, it makes a big difference having it once you're mature financially, uh, mentally, and everything. And now, and, and again, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but the fact is that it makes sense as far as, but th this is maybe something that it wasn't planned, but the fact is that you were ready, you've been wanting to. So then, okay, I apologize, but then no, I wanted no. to ask you this because <clears throat> no, it, it, it does make a difference. <laughs> and feel free to stop me and, and ask me questions because once I get going, <laughs> oh, it's hard for me to stop. <clears throat> but yeah, you do. You're absolutely right. I think that that was the uh, the the best timing for me to be a dad. And the way I see it now, and I'm going to come back to this comment um, a little later on, but I don't, I don't think I was ever meant to be a dad. And, and again, I'll get a little bit more into that, but I was blessed to, to have been Mia's father here on earth. Uh, you know, when she was born, um, her mom and I unfortunately separated when she was three months old. Uh, but we did have 50 50 custody. Mia was such a happy baby. I mean, she came from two parents being martial artists. So she was a little bully. I mean, she was. We would get <clears throat> notes all the time from daycare. We would pick her up and she pinched the little kid. She pushed the little kid. She took somebody's cookies. And that's just the way she was. You know, she was a fighter. You know, and it ended up helping, you know, when she was diagnosed and 
Mia was two years old, and uh, you know when it was around this time that I was I started taking her to church. As I was talking to you previously, my dad was a minister. I I grew up being a youth leader and a youth pastor, <clears throat> so I started taking her to church, and that's when when I said, okay, I want to be even a better example for my daughter. You know, I want to do something. I want to start preaching again. Because mind you, when I started rapping and doing everything, I I not that I turned my back on you know loving God or anything, but it's just life happens. And I was so busy, so I wasn't preaching, but I said, I need to do something now. You know, my daughter is two years old. She's absorbing everything that I'm doing and I'm saying, so I want to be a good example for her. And I grew up at a church here called Puerta del Cielo, and Pastor Tanya, the one of the associates pastors, uh, she was my childhood friend. And I told her, I said, hey, um, hey Tanya, you know what, I'm, I'm ready to get back on the horse i'm ready to start preaching i'm ready to start being on fire again like i once did you know i i have my little girl <clears throat> and tanya just gives me this look and she turned her head down and i was kind of like that's weird and she pulled me aside and she's like you know what joel god has been tugging at my heart for these last couple of weeks i knew that you were going to come and tell me this that you were ready but there's something that i have to tell you something that god put in my heart to tell you God's going to use you in an amazing way. God's going to take you to places you never imagined you were going to go and speak and preach. But before he does, you're going to go through something very difficult. She goes, I don't know what it is. She goes, and I even feel kind of bad telling you because it's like I'm kind of wishing you bad, but I'm not. She goes, but you'll see that once this is over, you're going to see how God's going to glorify himself and how he's going to use you. We had that conversation and I left there and I was like, maybe I'm going to get sick. Maybe I'm going to be in a car accident. Maybe I'm going to get arrested. I don't know. <clears throat> All these things happen. Just not your child. And I remember that day being standing bold and standing tall and saying, all right, God, whatever you want to send my way, I'm ready for it. I'm ready for it now. I'm ready to fight and I'm ready to show you that I'm going to preach your word no matter what comes my way. Eli, two weeks later. My baby girl started getting pain in her belly and her mom was even telling me, you know, playing around because we had a good you know, relationship. She said, what are you feeding her? Are you taking her to McDonald's? You're giving her, you know, <clears throat> and I said, no, you know, she loves eating her sopita. My mom makes she loves eating home food. And it just got to the point where the pain was more and more and every day. And literally two weeks after I had that conversation with Pastor Tanya, we ended up taking Mia to the hospital. And we had taken her to her pediatrician. Her pediatrician said, oh, she's just constipated. Gave her a medicine called Miralax to kind of help soften the stool. Um, and no, nope, nothing was working. We ended up uh, at the hospital. Um, it was in uh, September 7th of 2017. And the doctor comes in. He says, no, she's constipated. I touched her belly. I'm sorry. No. <clears throat> And we actually asked for a x-ray because just she's our daughter. We know her. And sure enough, <clears throat> he did the x-ray. And it was about an hour later that he said, you know what? We saw a little mass in her belly area. It's kind of attached to the liver, but we were at Del Sol. Um, so they said, we don't have things for children here. So we're sending you to the children's hospital. And... I'm just going to leave it as Children's Hospital because right now there's some legal issues there. Um, <clears throat> and we went and they said, all right, well, tomorrow we're going to do further testing. 
they did. They did a full CT scan. They did MRIs. They did x-rays. And it was on September 8th of 2017 that the doctor walks in. And I still, I, I can still hear him talking to us because these are things that still keep me up at night. These are still things that still give me PTSD. And that is when he sat down and he said, Mom, Dad, that tumor, that little mass that they saw is not really a little mass. It's a tumor. And it's wrapped around her belly. And he paused for a second and he said, Guys, Mia has cancer. Two years old. Our little girl was laying in her bed asleep. I'm going to be honest with you. I don't think I remember much after that. I know he was talking. And I know her her mom was next to her. And I was kind of holding her. And I walked out of the room. I walked out of the room. And I picked up Mia's little sandal that was there. That we took her in. And I started walking. And I don't even remember walking. I remember like if I was floating or gliding through the hallway and I could see nurses and medical staff looking at me because obviously they knew the doctor had gone in and I could just hear someone say, Mr. Ojeda, are you okay? But to me, it sounded like they were inside a can, like they were far, far away. Like I was, it was all like foggy, like misty. And then I remember walking to the side and there was a big window and I'm looking out of the corner of Alameda and and Reynolds And it was right there where it hit me that he was saying, Mia has cancer, Mia has cancer. But at the same time, I could hear what I say is the Holy Spirit. What I can hear is saying, remember, you said that no matter what, you were still going to be faithful. and You were still going to preach. This is when you remember that conversation you had with uh, Pastor Tanya? With Pastor Tanya. That is when I started hearing that conversation. Because it was then that I had promised God I was still going to continue to preach and and be faithful and that is when it started that's when the fight started september 8th of 2017 two years old at two years old she had turned two in july and a couple of months later in september is when she was officially diagnosed walk us through when when obviously you hear this horrible words First time, I don't know if maybe you had some family members that you are familiar with childhood cancer. I don't know what if that's the case or not. But automatically, are you positive about what's going to happen? Are you automatically thinking worst case scenario? What is going through your head as far as outcome at this moment? At this moment, right there and then, um, the worst possible outcome. I had zero experience with any family or close friends with childhood cancer. Of course, adult ha- cancer is it's happened not in my family, but I've had you know close friends and even uh, you know distant family uh, pass away from cancer. Um, but that's all I knew. You know, I did not know about childhood cancer. This was all brand new to me. You know, and at that point, it was the worst case scenario. At that point, I was thinking. I'm, I'm going to lose my baby girl. Oh. What happens next? Walk us through, okay, you get this um, news. I believe it was on a Friday, maybe it was on a weekend, and then tell us what happened. When is it that you guys go to the – is it that you go to another hospital now or not yet? You still treat it there. Not yet. So, <clears throat> again, being oblivious to everything that childhood cancer is, when they told us, um, you know, that it was cancer um, – it, it was on a Friday. So it was on a Friday that it happened. Both uh, grandparents were there, but they were in the waiting area. I remember walking back. The doctor had already walked out and Mia's mom was holding her in bed. And I remember pulling her, you know, towards the sofa there. And I told her, hey, you know what? This is our little girl. 
we're both fighters and she's a fighter so no matter what comes we're both gonna stand and she said yeah i agree and i said well are you ready to break the news to our parents and she said um yeah i went down i called my mom actually and i had him come upstairs and both grandparents walk in and as they walk in they see me sitting in the corner they see me as mom me as mom didn't even acknowledge that they had walked in <clears throat> so that's when they knew that something was wrong they walk in and this was friday about three or four p.m and i told all four of them i said you know what they told us that mia has cancer quickly my mom started crying her mom her other grandma started crying my dad was a little confused my dad has always been the rock of the family and her other grandpa um god i i i you know i i love that family her grandparents are awesome people and her other grandpa came over to both of us and and he told us in spanish she said okay dijo no nos vamos a rajar no nos vamos a rajar vamos a pelear con ella cada paso it means like we're not going to give up we're going to fight with her every step of the way so the doctor comes in and he says okay well we're, we have to start immediate chemo so we are going to give her the weekend to rest so saturday and sunday and come monday is when it's really going to start getting rough so at that point i told mia's mom i said okay we have two days for us to cry as much as we can come monday we have to be as strong as we need to be for our daughter um so yeah so that's she started uh, round one of chemo they gave us they gave us the uh, the roadmap. That's what it's called of what you're going through. And they said, okay, we're going to go through three cycles. We're going to rescan. After the third or fourth cycle, we're sending you all to Fort Worth uh, because she needs a she'll need a bone marrow transplant. But <clears throat> her bone marrow is still good, so we're going to harvest her bone marrow, uh, and then she's going to get her own bone marrow at the end. But that's all that Fort Worth, Fort Worth does. By this point, you know we had. I had already talked to the doc, my doctors, the my bosses that I work with, and we started word started getting around, and you know from from both her mom and I being martial artists, we 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 had a, a big blessing and we had a lot of support, especially from the fight community, not only from here but you know people from Jackson's gym in Albuquerque. These big time fighters were calling us, leaving us messages, and of course you know talking about the brotherhood instantly instantly i mean brothers from chicago brothers from our canada chapter brothers from the uk from mexico started sending me messages and saying you know we're here for you whatever you need so uh, all of a sudden all this big support started coming in so we felt good and so, as the doctor was explaining this all of this was in a positive tone that this is what's happening but then again and you're gonna see some improvement all this it's still in a positive tone i suppose I correct mean. yeah so initially they told us she had another type of cancer and then it was switched to neuroblastoma when is it that they told you it was stage three a right right off the back right, right when they the st right when we started the first uh round of uh of chemo which was the, that monday they said it's a uh, stage three um and that's when they started that um luckily by so luckily they started her well they started her with some wrong chemo <laughs> but they 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 were able to know that it was neuroblastoma which is the the cancer that she had when they initially first told us it was something else and but it was positive so brother being in the medical field i've been doing this 19 years you tend to 
trust your doctors yeah. when they say we're gonna do this we're gonna do that that all right yes sir no sir <clears throat> i mean this is my city these are the doctors that i work with you know and being in the medical field i knew more than i needed to but then i didn't know enough if that makes sense so i trust it and i said all right let's well we're gonna do this is not okay boom she's going through this isn't that boom 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 so three rounds and they said okay you guys are gonna go to cook children's in fort worth this hospital doesn't do anything but bone marrow so i took off the night before mia and her mom took off on the air ambulance and we met and this was in early november um of 2017 this is when three months right from september the, october the right two campaign? months two months okay two months um yes actually like november 1st or 2nd when we arrived over there <clears throat> so in those two months she already had some you know they they biopsied uh the 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 tumor they did three rounds of chemo and unfortunately they did a procedure where there was malpractice there was um mia was over sedated when we got to the operating room um they never you know being in the medical field <laughs> i know these things they never did a t what's called a timeout a timeout is obviously when you go in all right timeout this is patient so-and-so and you are mom and dad you're consenting this is what we're going to do <clears throat> none of that was ever done um she went in and they called a code blue which is when the patient stops breathing so actually prior to that when she was over sedated I, w I had already kissed her and I had walked out and mom was still there. But when she stopped, when they oversedated her, she stopped breathing. And they took the oxygen off, which is simple nursing 101. You don't sedate and take off oxygen. And they did. And so they told the mom, I'm hearing this and I'm within five feet, seven feet. And they tell the mom, you need to get out of here. So as they start going down, they don't call a code, but they start bringing people in doctors and other nurses and i'm looking at the monitor and i'm seeing my baby sats just drop bro the mom and you is, know exactly knowing what that I means know it's exactly, not like exactly, exactly. Oh my God. Okay. but i could not react like because her mom was saying joel what's going on what's happening what's happening and i'm freaking out inside but i'm trying not to express that to her because i'm i want to be strong for her and that's when I just remember inside of me saying, God, I'm not losing my daughter today. I'm not losing her today. And that's when I heard her scream. And that's when, you know, obviously if she screams, I mean, she's got oxygen. So at that point I was like, okay. So anyway, they took her in for the procedure. They took her out. They didn't even tell us she was out. We had to go and ask. We found out we go back up and she is in her room in the PICU area intubated. They didn't even extubate her. They said she's going to remain intubated and we're going to keep her like that a couple of days for her to rest. I call one of my good friends, Dr. Hector Lozano, who's, in my opinion, one of the best, if not the best anesthesiologist in El Paso. And I, I told him, hey, Hector, can you do me a favor? Can you come in and just check out how she's doing? He came in. Um, she started, he started checking. And then the anesthesiologist there that, that, happened to do this all to me he comes and he sits down next to me he goes well we hit a little hiccup and you know these things happen at that point eli i shut him up i said what things happen i go that you did not do the timeout that there was no ambu bags which are required legally to be that you guys had to leave the pre-op area to get an ambu bag to try and bag my daughter and give her oxygen 
what kind of hiccups? And he just stayed quiet. And I told him, I said, I've been in an operating room. At this point, it was like 16 years. I go, I've been doing this 15, 16 years. I go, so do me a favor and get out of here. So he left. He walked out. And then Dr. Lozano comes in and he said, well, she's resting. The good thing is that she's good. She was intubated for five days, brother. And at that point, we didn't know if she was going to wake up or not. You know, it was about day four, early five, that she started moving around. And all this time, I'm sorry to interrupt again. You're thinking, of course, back to the procedure that all these mistakes were done. And, of course, you've seen it on day one, day two. Yeah. Oh, my God. Okay. So I'm seeing all of this, yeah. brother. And it's just kind of like, luckily, there was nothing to be done at that point but send us to Fort Worth. Okay. So that is when we ended up going to Fort Worth. And we get there and we get there. And, brother, I even called Mia's mom because I got there the night before. And this hospital, bro, looked like, man, it was like twice the size of Sunland Park Mall, bro. It was humongous. It's huge. And I was like, this is the hospital that only does bone marrow transplant? So they got there the following day. They were in PICU. And the doctors come in. And one of the doctors comes in and says, hey, um, you know, there's, there's a doctor here that would want to speak to you. In comes this very elegant lady, tall lady. And she introduces herself. She says, oh, my name is Dr. Granger. They told us that we had a neuroblastoma uh, baby here from El Paso. Do you mind if I look at her chart? And I said, no, go right ahead. And she said, so you guys are just here to do this. What have they done? I'm like, well, it's there in the chart. And he's, she's like, okay. Um, and then she said, did they tell you anything about me? And I said, no, doc. The only thing they told me is that we were going to come here, get a bone marrow transplant. And at, at that point, she got upset. She goes, my name is Megan Granger. I am one of the busiest specialists for neuroblastoma in the world. And they've never heard about me. And I was like, no, doc, I'm sorry. She said, do me a favor. Can I, with your permission, can I rescan her tomorrow? And we said, please, please. We have no idea what this is. The following day, they did scans. They did MRIs. They did everything. She comes back with the results. She says, well, that tumor in the belly is there. But there's another tumor that they completely missed. That tumor is going up her spine and it's wrapped around her heart. I cannot believe that they missed that tumor. Furthermore, they started her with wrong chemo. That chemo that they gave her to attack the belly one has been only making the one around, around the heart more aggressive. What was going through your head right now? I was upset. I was mad. I felt betrayed. I felt lied to. This is my daughter. But... I tell people they wanted to have in the resume that they had treated neuroblastoma prior to my daughter having neuroblastoma that the hospital remembers and my research does there had only been two other children here in El Paso diagnosed with neuroblastoma my daughter was the third and Dr. Granger with with tears in her eyes she said please do me a favor don't take this little girl back let me take care of her me and her mom did the research on dr granger we saw how amazing she was she has written articles on medical magazines for neuroblastoma this is how awesome this lady is so we stayed there we stayed there and we were there since november of 2017 and we continued you know mia continued to have more procedures 
Uh, and she told us, she goes, maybe after another two rounds, we're going to do the big surgery to, to take the, try and take the tumor uh, from the belly and the one from around her heart. She told us it's going to be no less than a nine-hour surgery. Oh. It actually ended up being a 15-hour surgery. Nine hours to remove the tumor in the belly and six hours to remove the tumor on the heart. And they initially got it all. They did. But unfortunately, both of them. Both of them. Wow. Okay. But unfortunately, the tumor just came back more aggressive. After how long? After about a month. Her surgery was in March of 2018. And it just kind of kept coming back. They were trying everything they could. They did. But unfortunately, because she was started off a little bit wrong. Now, I don't want to say that because of that. The the everything that happened ultimately happened, but I think she would have had a better chance. Um, Mia, throughout this time, brother, I mean, that's what I uh, in the channel that I created. That's why I want to bring awareness because people see that childhood cancer or think childhood cancer is this commercial on TV. It's not, brother. It's hell. You're literally living in hell. You're seeing these children, bro. I mean, Mia would be in pain one time. Well, she was in pain for ten hours straight crying and yelling off the top of her lungs and all this while she was attached to continuous morphine so, and she was still having pain kids would be playing around the following day you asked where is so-and-so kid and they had passed away luckily we were staying at the ronald mcdonald house which was right across the street another great organization and and laurie and everybody who who works there Thank you so much for what they did. Her Mia's pictures are still hanging as you walk to to the kitchen area, um, and and Mia, brother, she I know that she had a connection, and you know there's a couple of things that happened. And if you've heard my story, we went to a wax museum one time, and my parents were in town, and she saw the wax figure of Jesus walking out of the tomb. And she just stops dead in her tracks and she looks at the statue and she starts waving frantically to the statue saying, hey, Jesus, I'm here. It's me. And she was kind of baffled, like thinking, hey, he's not moving. You know what's wrong with him? So it was right there. And then that it was kind of like, wow, this little girl. And then she would actually go and walk around and lay hands on other sick children, bro, and pray for them. And pray for them. And at least four situations, parents actually contacted me. And they said, my child was healed after your daughter prayed for her. So all this time, I'm thinking, my daughter has an awesome ministry. She doesn't even know what's, you know, what's coming her way. And, uh, but no, brother, everything that they were trying, unfortunately, wasn't working. Um, all in all, Mia had 17 surgeries. 17. 17, including the two major ones. She had 11 rounds of chemo and 24 sessions of radiation at two years old. And nothing was working. Nothing was working, brother. And they they told us. They told us, you know what? We're trying everything we can. And one of the covering oncologists, when Dr. Granger was out, Nobody wanted to use the word terminal. And I've, I've mentioned this in previous occasions. Nobody wanted to say she's terminal. They would say, we're trying. And I sat this doctor down and I said, Dr. Howery, talk to me. Is she terminal? And he started going into his speech. 
Well, Joel, you see, and I said, oh, wait, hold on, hold on, dog. You have children? Yes, I do. I have two boys. Would you want to know the truth? And knowing that I had tested his fatherhood, he sat down and he said, Joel, you're asking me if she's terminal. I don't like to use that word, but I am going to use it. She is terminal. But so are you. So is mom. So is the nurse. We are all terminal. Just some of us are going to finish the race before others. And that hit me, bro. That hit me. I mean, to the point that I'm actually writing a book on that right now. And I mean, again, they tried everything that they could. And we we knew we were still in denial. There was a lot of times during her fight that I would still be in denial. But then reality would slap you in the face. One of them was actually when we were still here in El Paso. When I started brushing her hair and I looked down and there's a clump of hair in my hand. That's one of the big realizations that, hey, dude, cancer's there. Cancer's real. Cancer's hitting your daughter. And... You know, that was one of the big slapping factors and going, you know, towards June, we uh, we just kind of had a little instinct, you know, her birthday is July 19th and my birthday is June 23rd. But when Mia's mom said, you want to celebrate your birthday, what do you want to do? And I said, no, I go, I, I, I want to celebrate Mia's birthday because we don't know what's going to happen. If she makes it for her birthday, she'll have another birthday party. But we actually ended up celebrating her birthday at the end of June. But prior to that, we got both families. We had awesome support and we had a couple of CrossFit gyms here in El Paso because uh, her mom was, and I don't know if she still is, but very involved in the CrossFit community here. And they send us money. Uh, they did a, a fundraiser so both families could go to SeaWorld. So we went to San Antonio. Mia had a blast. We were at SeaWorld, both families. And we went back to Fort Worth. We celebrated her birthday. She wanted a Chuck E. Cheese. She wanted a Minnie Mouse birthday party inside of Chuck E. Cheese. Okay. And we gave her that. We gave her what she wanted. And, and we were at that Chuck E. Cheese, bro. And, man, we were there. And all the people there were so great. We were there almost every day, if not every other day. And it was very close to the hospital. And the the managers, everybody, Chelsea, everybody out there knew, knew her already. And we would go and they would let her run around and they would give her their card, their manager card, so she could play any game. I mean, I owe a lot to them because they did. They made her very happy. And another thing is that, you know, when Mia was diagnosed, both her mom and I just kind of threw everything to the side and we both went to be with her. So for the last 10 months of Mia's life, she um, she had mom and dad. She would wake up with mom and dad. So she was happy. And we took her everywhere, brother, to the zoo in Dallas, the zoo in Fort Worth. We went to Cowboy Stadium. We went to a Texas Ranger game. I mean, we did everything with her to kind, you know, to just kind of give her a normal life. And uh, but no, I mean, after that birthday party at the end of June, things were not the same. You know, she was, you know, was she more in pain? She as- was. You know, what's what's what's. Uh, no, she really wasn't, bro. And what's what's kind of. What kind of helps me out, and we'll get into this a little bit later, is all the stories that I do on my YouTube channel. Mm -hmm. A lot of these children, unfortunately, leave this world with a lot of pain, with hallucinations. They leave, and my daughter did not. Actually, there was a lot of times when we would take her to the ER that she was really in pain, that we thought, oh, my God, this might be it. That last time that we took her in, she just said uh, that her belly hurt, but she was fine. She was just tired, and... It was then that we realized we took her in July 2nd. 
and we just knew something was wrong because she was sleeping a lot. We called our par- We called both our parents. My parents got there right away, and her parents are gonna be coming in and two days after that. Uh, her other grandparents and when we were there i remember taking her mom as mia was sleeping and my parents were there i took mia's mom out to one of the little conference rooms and i said hey you know what um right now is when we have to do that prayer Uh, and i said this is and and still right now eli this is the toughest prayer i've ever had to pray bro um that is when I, i i told i told god i said you know what god this is it i mean we don't know what's about to happen but she's not our daughter she's your daughter you lend her to us and if it's time and it's your will to take her already then we just want to say thank you for lending her to us almost three years when you're walking this way, you have to be obedient. And her mom says said this a lot. We, you can't play tug of war with God. God's going to win every single time. So it's better to accept. It's hard to accept God's will. But it's going to be done regardless whether we like it or not. And we prayed that night. My parents went back to the Ronald McDonald house to sleep. And that night I remember walking in the in the hallway No, I'm sorry. I was walking in the back alley of the hospital. And I had a vision, bro. I had a vision of me preaching. Things that I've done, you know, numerous times. Fully awake. Fully awake. I was walking and I had this vision. I walk and I see myself in an auditorium and I see a lot of people. But as I'm scanning through the people from the back all the way to the front, as I look to the front of the stage like that, I see my daughter laying there in a coffin. Quickly, I snapped out of it and I ran back inside. And as I'm running back inside, her mom is sitting in the couch, kind of like rocking back and forth. I said, what's wrong? She goes, I just had a nightmare or a dream. And I said, what dream was that? She goes, that you were preaching at Mia's funeral. We had, I had that vision and Mia's mom had that dream at the same time. So that right there and then I told, I said, God, I know where Mia's going is in a perfect place. So we're not going to pray for her right now because if you're going to take her, you're going to take her. But right now we're praying for us because we're going to need that strength. Mia has uh, an older sister. Mia's sister is going to need that strength. My parents, her other grandparents are going to need that. We're going to need that strength if she's going to leave. And I just, just, and I said, just please show me, God, that she is healed wherever she's going. Bro, she was attached to continuous morphine. She was unresponsive. She sat up from her bed. And three times she looked at me, at her mom, and she said, Daddy, I am healed. Daddy, I am healed. And then a third time, Daddy, I'm healed. She went back to sleep. This was July 4th. I remember seeing the fireworks from the from the hospital window. The next day, she just really wasn't reacting anymore. Her other grandparents were about to fly in. Uh, my parents were already there, and we saw we started seeing her sats go down. And the nurse came in, and the doctor said, "Man, they said, all right, it's time. It's going to keep declining until she gives her last breath." At that point. Mia's mom, we all started crying, but she started, 
getting really riled up and she she's telling me mia open your eyes baby look at us we're here wake up mia woke up but she woke up and she said no mommy the angels are here oh my god and then she closed her eyes we started seeing 90 80 70 her other grandparents called us we just landed at a at lovely at uh, Love Field in Dallas, we're on our way over there. It was like a forty-minute drive, and all this time, you know, my parents were already there. Mia's mom is looking at her and she's saying, "Baby, do me a favor. Just hold on until you know, Abu and Abu. That's what she would call her grandparents on the other side. Just wait until they get here, please. Just wait." And whenever Mia's mom would say that, her breathing would get a little bit higher. Um, and finally. They showed up. They walk into the uh, the room, and Mia's other grandma went straight to the couch, and she started crying, honestly. And I'm holding Mia's legs. Her mom's holding her, and the dad, um, her other grandpa, looked at her. He said, "Mia, look at me, baby, please." She opened her eyes just a little bit. And he told her in Spanish, he said, do me a favor, tell God that I love him and tell him I said thank you for bringing you here. She opened her eyes and she looked at everybody in the room, Eli. And then she looked at him and she nodded her head, yes. And she closed her eyes and Mia's mom told her, it's okay, baby. It's okay to let go. You can go ahead and go now. And almost instantly, about five, six seconds later, we felt her last breath in our arms. And July 5th, I forgot to mention this, but after she woke up that she was intubated for five days. Um, I'm here, but I think she, uh, she had an obsession with the day Thursday. She had an obsession with the number three and the number five. We didn't know. I mean... She was smart, but at two years old, you don't really know the days of the week. Numbers, you know, but it could be any number. It could be one. It could be seven. It could be ten. But she was three and five. And every, almost every other day, she would ask me and her mom, Mommy, Daddy, when is Thursday? And we were like, baby, it's Monday. It's still a couple of days away. Or if it was Thursday, we'd be like, today's Thursday, baby. And she'd just kind of look around and be like, okay. And for everything, um, it was three and five, three and five, three and five for everything. How many burgers do you want? Three. How many grapes do you want? Five. No other number. Well, she passed away on a Thursday, the 5th at 3 p.m. So Thursday, three and five. So she was kind of letting us know. And that, I want to say... September 8th when they told us she had cancers when the nightmare began but I honestly think it really began you know when she gave her last breath I remember we were we knew it was coming um but after she stopped breathing I actually got up from her bed and started walking and I don't remember anything else I collapsed um I woke up and my mom and there was a nurse there kind of giving me fanning me giving me air um and yeah that was it brother and coming back from fort worth without our daughter 
was so difficult. We had so much support from the community here. The news, every newscast had done a story on her. Um, and we promised her and I promised her, I said, baby, I'm going to bring you back to El Paso alive. And that is kind of guilt that kind of still gets me right now. It does. I mean, it was not a month ago that I was like, did I fail as, as a parent? Did I, you know, that I promised her I was going to bring her back alive and I didn't, you know? And that's when, that's when she left. That's when Mia left. That's when she gave her last breath. Senor, oh my God, thank you so much for, for sharing the story. Um, the first time, because I, I seen the story, your YouTube video a couple times, when you describe what happens after that the grandparents stay with Mia after she passes away, I, I got me crying every single time because I can, like I said, I'm very close to my daughter. I can't, I'm not even going to bother saying that. Like, there's no way that I can even come close to that. And, and I'm just going to thank you for sharing the story and for everything that you're doing right now. I'll say it's, it's, yeah. Yeah, when, when she passed, they told us you can have about two hours with her. Um, of course, you know, when, when somebody passes, they start getting cold. So anything after two hours would just be traumatic. And afterwards, um, I walked out of the room. I, I did not want to be in there. And um, both her grandmas um, bathed her one last time, put her in her outfit, and they walked out of the room and me and Mia's mom walked into the room where she was laying there and we just literally went in there to say bye um we left uh she she liked the uh, school of rock from jack black for some reason that was her favorite movie i mean other than trolls and everything but i don't know even know why she liked that movie um so we left that movie on for her and it's and I'm sure you've experienced this, you know, when you put your daughter to sleep and you close the door behind her and go to your room, right? But we looked, she's laying there, she's not there anymore, and we had to leave her body there. I threw your way back because you're describing that you guys went three of you to battle this and then only two come back. Yeah. <sighs> Este, of course, the misdiagnosis, the uh, malpractice during the first surgery. Do you still harbor any resentment over that? I do. After hearing stories of maybe a, a different way that kids get treated. I do. We'll, we'll get into that, but do you? I do. What do you do to and It's something that I battle with every single day. Sometimes, you know, it's it's better than other days. Um, again, I, I grew up preaching, brother. So, again, my faith was tested throughout all of this, right? And God's will, as I mentioned, God's will is going to be done. So, we could have taken her to the best hospitals. If God was going to take her, God was going to take her. And there's days that I'm like, you know, she, she left. You know, she finished her race. Um, But I still can't get over it, brother. And... I mean, I would be lying to you if I sat here and I told you and your viewers that I'm okay. I'm not. I'm not. When it comes to that, I'm not. I've, I've, I'm working on it. 
you know, and I've gone through counseling and therapies and, but I, I'm, I'm not, I'm sorry. I'm not. <laughs> no. And of course it makes perfect sense. And that's why I went back to my, my comment when, as far as how old were you? Because even though I had my, my child very young, but to be honest with you, it's until not recently, but yeah, I got older that I really appreciate what a kid is, what a child is, what they really deserve. And that's why at your age, it, it I mean, it, it makes such a big difference because you know the miracle of having a kid, what they need, what they support, and also the role that you're going to play and not being able to fulfill that, again, even because of the circumstance, definitely, I mean, it just makes sense. Oh, senor. Again, I, I just have a lot of respect and, and, and thank you for for sharing this. Um, in simple terms, are you able to describe what um, neuroblastoma is? Like what type of cancer that is? So neuroblastoma, it can, it can, uh, it's the most common neuroblastoma are tumors around the belly area. I know when people think of neuro, they think of the head and there is a type of neuroblastoma, um, even uh, the retinal blastoma that can be caused in the head and in the brain. Um, but the most common type of blastoma is the 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 neuroblastoma is the one around the belly so it's pretty much a tumor that a child is born with so they're born with it but unfortunately no blood work can detect that so when mia would have her blood work done she would come out fine is it until an x-ray it's it's until you get an x-ray but honestly who's gonna get an x-ray if you take your daughter for her immunization for shots or anything who's gonna be like okay can you do an x-ray now you don't especially if you see them okay unfortunately with neuroblastoma once it starts um showing that means the tumor is growing and it's already way advanced so Uh, I left this out, but they had given her a stage three here. And unfortunately, once they did everything else in Fort Worth, she was categorized as stage four high risk. Which makes a big difference. I was was researching like the differences. And oh my God, it it makes even a a three, like without even knowing about it, like, okay, I know I heard four, so it's not four, so it's good. And then as soon as you hear four, I mean, everything changes. Everything changes, especially high risk stage four everything completely the game plan is completely different at that point all right well we'll, we'll talk about uh, as far as the research the funding that it's very important that we address before we do that though um i want to ask you i know you talked a little bit about the support system that a lot of people were supportive on you talk to us a little bit about who was there who who supported you because they, they these are the people that should be give, giving credit every single time. yeah no of course i mean uh, our martial arts community they did a lot um there's a lot of uh, organizations that i had reft um especially one in santa fe and we'll talk about this when i start talking about my channel they they're the reason why i got the name the gold corner for my channel um but the mma community and the bearded villains brother i mean again i started getting once we got to fort worth there was not a day that we needed something because our north texas chapter was there you know what do you need what do you uh food do you want a ride somewhere do you need groceries i mean they were there every single day so my brotherhood of the bearded villains just really really came through i mean i was getting donations from chapters outside of the u.s 
you know, they all kind of came together and we started getting so many donations um, from, uh, you know, from from all the bearded villains, you know, and, and I know here um, the bearded villains from West Texas, they also did some fundraising events. And that honestly, that really, really helped a lot. I, I, I'd like to tell them that it was them who who helped us give Mia her last 10 months of life the best because we were able to to do everything that we could, you know, when she was in, in treatment uh, when we were in Fort Worth. So, but yeah, no, the Bearded Villains, uh, the uh, the uh, the martial arts community, um, and the CrossFit community here too. Again, because of Mia's mom, you know, the CrossFit gyms, um, Ratio and uh, Bullstrong, um, they they helped out so much in in, in all of this. And and it's there you are, and it's still not the same because even donating and again, just thinking out of experience here, not about I'm not talking about anyone else. It just is it's simple that i can donate i can give money and of course i have the best sentiment but it's only until like there is no way until you put yourself in your shoes again when once you're there um that you're really gonna see and understand a lot of things that you don't and that's why and and we'll get again to to the channel the reason why you're getting into it's so interesting to me because i compared again what would i do right i of course every person's different but first of all I'm so glad you made it public, not only to get the support, but also for other people to be touched by that, right? And not only that, but so we can create awareness. Again, the funding is very important, but also how to deal with someone like in your circumstance, right? Like I have, to be honest, I don't have any experience losing a very close um, relative or friend. But the truth is that like we will get there. There, the, It will happen, right? And and it's sad that a lot of us, again, just wait until that happens so then we can make change or we can make an impact. So that's the one of the main reasons why it's important for you to continue sharing your message. With that, let, 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 let's get started into, uh, well, first of all, I wanna talk about only 4% of the budget for childhood cancer. I mean, for the, the, the total cancer budget goes to childhood cancer. Do you have you done your research for why that is, first of all? And second, what is it that we can do, all of us, to be able to change that? Well, yeah, unfortunately, again, these are things that you don't know until you're in the situation. Yeah, when uh, when there's money donated for cancer research, literally, and statistics all over are that 4%. So four pennies out of every dollar is the only thing that goes for childhood cancer. Why? Because they say it's rare. Because they say, well, if it works on adults, so it, I don't know if you knew this, but there is really no um, chemotherapy for children. The children get adult chemo, but at a lower dose. Why? Because there's not enough uh, funding to get children their own chemo. And there's a lot of hospitals. We had even talked to one hospital in Michigan who's doing uh, treatments that are not FDA approved. Um, but unfortunately, it was a little too late for us to go over there. Um, but yes, uh, we only get 4%, brother. Uh, what can we do? You know, we can talk to Congress. I mean, I've gone together with a lot of uh, uh, other parents, and we've sent letters to Congress. We've, you know, some parents have even done the Cure Fest, which is go and, and walk outside of the White, White House to try and get more funding for our children. But the fact of the matter is we only get 4%. That's all that we get for childhood cancer because they say it's rare because it's say, oh, yeah, I mean, it really doesn't happen. It doesn't happen because they don't want to put it out 
out there. And and it might be that people do not want to know that children have cancer. But, brother, we're looking at the NFL goes pink all October. You know, why can't they go gold in September, which is Childhood Cancer Awareness Month? And that's the color of the ribbon. I mean, these are our children and millions and billions of dollars. And I say this in my videos, man, are being sent out of the U.S. for stupid reasons. For dumb reasons, when that could be used to try and find new medication, to try and find uh, other alternatives, to to better educate the doctors. Because the common denominator in all the videos that I've done on my YouTube channel is we don't know what to do. We're out of options. Uh, We've done everything we can. Why? Why should that be it? Why? Because they don't want to spend money for the funding for childhood cancer. 4%, 4%, brother, that's, that's all our children get. I was hearing one of your stories, I forget her name, I'm sorry, but it was the one from Tempe that I was talking to you about, mm-hmm. that of course at the moment you don't understand chemo, but you relying that it's the best, most up-to-date technology, everything. And then she was describing how it's 30-year-old chemo. And I'm like, what, how is this possible? Do you recall her name? I'm sorry. Yeah, it was... Uh, um the the little girl from they were from Yuma Arizona yes from Yuma yes, yeah yes, um yes. I have it right here yeah Lily Campa Kate Campa Kate. that's what I remember Kate yeah the little girl's name was Kate um and yeah I mean unfortunately she was diagnosed at fourteen I think and she she left at sixteen so two years I mean it it's I mean so people tell me if I have people ask me you know there you have people in your channel that lose teenagers. It, what's harder, losing a child at two or at 17? I mean, the answer is going to be that it's hard regardless, but I couldn't imagine leaving 15 years of memories and then my child passing, you know? So I, either way, it's it's both difficult, but I, I just, yeah, I mean, there, there's, again, you know, they, they when you lose a husband or a wife, you're a widow, widower. Uh, if you lose your parents, you're an orphan. I mean, everything has a name. But there is no name for a parent that has lost a child. What do you call him? You don't. There isn't. And then, then when you look back at the, the process of it, and again, you you just can't help yourself thinking of the things that went wrong or the mm-hmm. things that you could have done different. And that's why going into now into your channel that you hear all these stories about different treatments, a lot of success stories on, on maybe some of the treatments. I'm like, wow, if it was me, going back to um, what I was mentioning earlier, like I wouldn't want to hear those stories because then it, it just reminds me every single day. Of course, we all cope different with grief, but the fact is you're hearing on a weekly basis, sometimes even more, and how can it help you through your own journey? So talk to us first about your, about your channel now, and then if, if you can answer the question as far as, is this helping you, is this affecting you? How, I mean, I wanna know a little bit about the process and the journey now with you specifically right well i you know this is a decision that i took after mia passed um and, and i said well i can either do something or do nothing do something as far as be a voice for all these children do nothing means that i just put cancer in the back of my head and and uh just say that cancer was a part of my life uh 10 years down the road and be like i had a daughter passed away from cancer and that's it i don't want to speak about it anymore and it took me a long time, Eli. It took me a long time. It took me about, well, first of all, it took me close to a year after she passed to even speak about, you know, Mia passing. Um, but then I, I, I knew I needed to do something more 
because I would I would talk to parents and different support groups and they would tell me a little bit about their child. But I mean, through messenger, I mean, you're sending a big old message, you know, and they're like, you know, we wish, you know, there was a platform that we can speak about our children, keep my our children memories alive. And then that's obviously when I started doing the research and, and uh, you know, St. Jude, I'm going to say, you know, I'm, I don't care. I'm going to say it. Um, that people, that's all they know, that childhood cancer. But St. Jude turns away so many children. St. Jude turned away Mia. Why? They they focus on the smaller kind of uh, cancers so they can be more successful. The ones that have a higher survivor, uh, survival rate? higher survival rate. rate, yeah. Wow. So if you get a stage four neuroblastoma or something like that, they're not even going to take you. Um, so there was a lot of organizations that parents had created. And, you know, I would see that, you know, they're raising money f- to help this. And I had organizations that would go up to me and give me a gift card for $500 that would give me and her mom, that would give us gas money, that would do this. And these organizations you don't hear about. You know, you have to do research to say, okay, what kind of... And I was like, man, we need a platform where people can know about these organizations. Man, these guys are blessing and helping so many people. There isn't anything out there. And then I thought about it. I'm like, there isn't anything out there. I was looking for childhood cancer. And if you YouTube anything, there's going to be one video, two videos here. And then they're going to um, edit it to where they only put the nice stuff about childhood cancer. And I was like, no, uh-uh, this isn't it. I need to start educating people. And that's when I said, I'm going to, I'm going to create a, a YouTube channel. And people even told me, you know, what about a podcast? I said, no, I want people to really see everything. Um, I didn't know where it was going to take me when I started. Like when I was thinking of names or something to name it, I was kind of like, well, what should I name it? I came up with a name, The Gold Corner, because um, one of the organizations, the Southwest uh, Fight Series in Santa Fe, uh, that they hold fights at the the Pueblo Powaki at the Buffalo Thunder, um, they dedicated one night to Mia. And, you know, when you have fighters, you have a blue corner and a red corner. You know, when you hear the announcer, okay, fighting out of the red corner, fighting out of the blue corner. Well, childhood cancer is gold. And what they did that day is that they dedicated an entire corner for Mia. And they were thinking about calling it the Mia Corner. And it ultimately came out to being the gold corner. So that was her. Her picture was on that corner. So it was a gold corner. And I figured what best way to speak about a fighter than actually putting this into that. You know, I've been a referee, brother, and for seven years now. And you get to see the fighter when they're in their corner and you get to see the things that maybe a lot of people don't see or if they see they do not pay attention to and that is another book that i'm writing it's called the best cornerman when you see a fighter and i know you had cristobal here an amazing fighter and amazing talent you see him as a fighter but you see people standing behind him well he's gonna have a striking coach he's gonna have his grappling coach he's gonna have his you know head coach and depending on where the fight goes, that is the coach that's, uh, you know, yelling instructions, do this, do that. So they're coaching their fighter. Um, so I said, these are kids that are fighting. They're in the fight. Mm-hmm. And we're out here as their family, as their parents, coaching them, telling them, all right, baby, let's do this. Let's let's go ahead and do that. That's where actually one of the shirts that I'm wearing right now, let's do this. That's my catchphrase when I ref. 
And that was something that right before me, I went into any treatment, I would be like, all right, baby, you got this. Let's do this. So I think that was, you know, fitting for that. Um, so that is where I came up with the name, the gold corner. And I said, this is perfect. This is perfect. Cause these are little fighters. Um, and I actually had the blessing of for right now, the season two that, uh, Bruce Buffer, uh, the voice of the UFC did the intro for my, for my YouTube channel. Um, so I've had the opportunity to work with Bruce before. And when I told him, he, he said, yeah, I'll definitely do it. Um, and that is where I, I, so the first story I got with, uh, the, the guy that does all my editing, uh, Caleb Lada, very good childhood friend that, that does the Elevate El Paso show. Um, I, t- I told him my idea. He said, we can do it. Let's do it, brother. This is what, what, what you were called to do. Um, he goes, let's start off by telling your story. We started planning it and I didn't even perfectly plan it all i said is okay i'm gonna record the story do your editing we're gonna upload sunday well that actually turned out that that sunday was mia's birthday it was it was it was supposed to be mia's fifth birthday so the very first story is season one episode one is mia's story and that's me sitting down going a little bit more in depth uh kind of what i did here maybe adding a little bit more of mia's story and everything that she went through and then from part of these support groups, the initial parents, I would call them and I say, hey, I created a YouTube channel. And they're like, yeah, that's great. We want to speak about our son. We want to speak about our daughter. So, it, I mean, every week it just started growing, started getting subscribers. And I mean, we featured kids from Arizona, from New York, from Florida, from North Carolina, uh, from Colorado. I mean, we've had we're already on season two. Uh, episode seven will be this week. Um, but we've been able to help a lot of families and i've been you know i i created it to be a platform for these parents to talk and i tell them straight out i mean if if i don't have any censorship on my youtube channel right now um i said so you can speak of whatever you want you can go as far in detail as what you want I want people to see the reality of what childhood cancer is, not that it's these commercials. And I've had so many people like reach out to me. People, that's why at the end of my shows, I say, what, do you, what advice would you give parents with perfectly healthy children? I've had so many parents with healthy children say, Joel, thank you for opening our eyes. Thank you for, for showing us this. Thank you for that. Um, so we, I get all these parents to share their stories. If you notice my videos, I, I'll speak in the beginning and then I'll come in at the end. And I tell, I purposely tell Caleb to get me out because I'm crying throughout the whole episode. <laughs> so I tell him, don't get me in the screen, get the parents in the screen. Um, so to answer your question, um, before I started doing the channel, brother, I'm going to be honest with you. When I would hear of success stories, it would upset me because I would say, why wasn't my daughter a success story? Why didn't she beat cancer? And it would kind of get to me. It would. But then I changed my mentality to saying, uh-uh, no, no, the devil's not going to take our children anymore. So now I kind of thrive and I'm excited when I hear success stories of children that have beat it. Because I'm like, that's one less child that, you know, that gets to stay here and, you know, it's not taken away from us. It's difficult. I'm going to be honest with you. It's difficult to record every 
episode. And that is the reason why I didn't want to do the editing myself is because I don't want to be hearing this story again. As it is, I hear it when they're telling it. Mm -hmm. And then I hear it on Sundays when I upload it. And it's difficult because it does bring back a lot of memories. It does trigger a lot of things. Every Sunday after I I finish a show, I drive to the cemetery and I'll just stay there for a couple of hours. Um, It's draining. It is. But one thing that I've realized and i've learned it's it's not about me and it's never going to be about me it's about these kids brother it's about these warriors these real life superheroes if you haven't walked on the cancer floor you don't know what little superheroes these kids are you know kids that that are playing with their line with their ivy line that are doing all of this um so that that does take a lot out of me but i i i'm doing Brother, I'm just, I wake up in the morning, I'll have 15, 20, 25 uh, unread messages from parents saying, thank you so much for what you're doing. Thank you. And right now I have uh, probably like the next 17 weeks already booked uh, from parents that want to share their story. So yes, to answer your question, it does take a lot out of me, but it, it's helping me with my healing process. It is helping me with my healing process. And um, I... Mia and, and us, we didn't have it as bad as all these other children. And then there's children that, that, that didn't have it as bad as us. And that's what I tell everybody is that we're a part of this family. We did not ask to be here. We did not want to be here. And I make it very clear. There's there's a couple of sayings that my viewers know me by. One of them is I say we're a broken family, but we're broken together. You know, and we are. We are a broken family. None of us wanted to be there, bro. But and when I pick up the phone and I'm feeling bad i'll go into a support group or one of these other parents and i just have to text hello and they know what i'm going through and we already understand each other because we both had a child that passed or we both went through it at the same time i have a lot of parents that are just new to this journey that'll call me and they'll say joel can you give me advice can you talk to me and and i'll do that you know and prior to to uh to doing all of this with the channel and prior to COVID, you know, when, when pastor Tanya told me, you're going to be going to places that you never imagined you would go brother. I never thought I would sit in an auditorium in a hospital in Fort Worth, in a hospital in New York, in a hospital in Tennessee and share my story and help other parents. And that is where I am now. That's where God has taken me. I've been speaking at auditoriums. I've been speaking in hospitals. I've been speaking to parents individually and how could I sit in front of a parent that's going through it and say, I know exactly what you're going through if I hadn't gone through it, you know? And it goes back to what she told me and just doing this channel again. When I started it, I didn't I didn't think much of it. I said, I'm going to share my story. If another parent wants to share their story, hey, the channel's here. And it just kind of started snowballing, you know, from there. And, uh, and, and that's where we are right now with, with the gold corner. That's the reason for the name. And my objective with the channel is to speak about all these kids, the ones that already got their wings, the ones currently fighting, the ones that have beat it. And for people to, for parents that have gone through it to really open the eyes of other viewers that have not gone through it. And we pray that you that we've, you know, for your listeners, we pray that you never have to go through something like this. But that's why I wanted to create this this platform and this channel to help people out.
No, that's great. I sincerely want to thank you for that because you're absolutely right. It's it's not only impacting like those parents telling the stories of the of their children. The fact is that also parents of a very perfectly healthy children and also those changes that need to be made. This is how change starts. So again, thank you so much for that. I I honestly want to thank you. Like I said, one of the purposes for this podcast is not only to highlight cool stories or people that have businesses or that have money, but are people making an impact, not thinking of themselves, but thinking of the higher picture. And you're there, sir. So thank you. Thank <laughs> you. And like I mentioned right now, it's, it's not about me, brother. It's, it's, it's really not. And, you know, one thing that that I, I did while going through this entire process, I always thank God, even though my daughter was at her lowest, the highest pain, I I just kept telling God, thank you. Thank you because you chose us for what purpose? I don't know. I, I remember one time and I'll share this with you really quick. A nurse walked in and Mia's crying and I'm saying, God, thank you. And I saw her about an hour later and she goes, I, I, I don't know how you can thank God being that your daughter's there in pain. And I said, well, because, you know, a leaf from the tree doesn't fall unless God gives it permission. So if God is allowing us to go through this, there's a higher purpose for this. And before Mia passed, I whisper in her ears, I said two things. Mia, I promise you that I'm always going to share your story and tell people how brave you were and how hard you fought. And the second thing is that I'm going to, I don't know what I'm going to do, but I'm going to be a voice for all these children. And that's what I want to fulfill right now. And I think that's, that's what I'm doing with the channel, you know, to be a, a voice for these children. And um, we were able to launch some merchandise and um, we have, I'm, I'm getting together what's called Warrior Packs. And in there is going to be a lot of, it's going to be a backpack with a lot of things for the kids. But one thing I'm sending them is MMA gloves and a gown. That way, you know, when you see a fighter walk out, they're fully dressed. I want these kids to fully dress whenever they're going into chemo, whenever they're going into radiation, they're gearing up for a fight. So I want them to kind of gear up and, and go in there ready to fight. And that's that's kind of what I want, want, to, want to do with yeah, these that's kids. That's so thoughtful. And, and definitely I'll talk about it offline as far as how I can help. I know it, it changed my mind to a lot of things. Kate's episodes, uh, the episode was so powerful because she mentions mom, the, again, I, I forgot her name, that instead of thinking, why us? She's like, why not me? Why not our family? And I'm like, yeah, like that's the approach that, yeah, even though you're healthy, that no prior history, but that's the approach also. Why not us? Right. And that makes you change your perception, your thoughts, the, the way you approach different things. And to me, like, oh, that's so powerful because you're absolutely right. So let's let's go into you, you asked this to to the parents and I want to ask you give some advice to parents that have healthy children and also um, the second question that I have is also give us some advice that uh, to people entering this world to maybe either in the process you said that a lot of people are reaching out to you as well so talk to us about that please well you're you're really turning it around on me because that's the question that I asked so now <laughs> yeah. you're asking me <laughs> um, <clears throat> you kind of caught me off guard but no yeah definitely um, <clears throat> the parents that um that are going through this journey that are just starting this journey i remember that i got um advice from from my boss one of my bosses dr javier de la torre and when he first told me this i did not want to hear it but it ultimately and it was something so simple and it ultimately right now is is the same advice i share with other parents 
when I told him, he immediately rushed to the hospital because not only is he my boss, he's also a very good friend. And he said, Joel, I'm going to give you this advice. Spend as much time as you can with your daughter. Make memories. At that point, I was like, you're making it seem like she's going to die. Like, dude, tell me something else. Don't give me that advice. But ultimately, brother, that was the best advice he could have given me because we made those last 10 months as fun as we could. We made so many memories in those 10 months that are still going to bring a smile to my face for the rest of my life. So for parents that are recently going into this, we be ready for because childhood cancer doesn't just affect the child. It affects the parents. It affects siblings. It affects the whole family. So you're going into a fight, you know, and your child needs you. Um, one thing that I that I tell people is that it's okay to be not okay. A lot of people think, oh, I got to be okay. I got to be this, especially the dads. I got to be the strong one. There's a lot of times where I lost it and it was okay. And it was okay. So parents that are going through this for the first time, keep the faith because no matter what outcome, God's going to use that. God's going to use your testimony to be of a blessing to so many people and you're act- impacting people that you're not even aware of. And just remember to to have some self-care that it's okay to care for yourself it's okay for you to go have a nice meal it's okay for you to have a soda you know it's at that point your child is the only thing that matters you're there fighting and one thing i can tell these parents is that whatever outcome you know whether your child beats it or your child passes you're never going to be okay. I have parents and I've had, um, I had a young lady that she actually beat childhood cancer. Now she has her own uh, organization. Mm-hmm. Um, Hannah, she's in season one, episode five. And I spoke to her parents and this beautiful young girl, 17 or 18 now, and she's healed. She's perfectly fine now. And her parents are still not okay because of everything that they had to witness with her baby girl, with her daughter. So it's one of these things that you're not going to be okay, but it's okay. It's okay to be not okay. It's okay not to have the answers. But one thing I can tell parents that are going through the same thing, please get second opinions, get third opinions, start calling other hospitals. Do not rely and do not make the same mistake that we did is trust initially and say, okay, you say you've treated it before then go ahead no it's okay no one's going to know your child you have to be an advocate for your child no one's going to know your child the way you do a doctor can tell you yeah this this, and that but they're they haven't lived with them it's not their child they're probably seeing him for the first time so for parents that are going through this just hold on the strength is sometimes not going to be there but our strength comes from from the lord and it's okay to be not okay. And it's okay to have all these um, feelings. You're, you're going to have feelings of anger. You're going to be depressed. You're going to be happy. But care for yourself and create memories. Spend as much time as you can with your children. Quality time for sure. Quality time for sure. And one of the things when I finish my episodes, I tell people live each day to its fullest because tomorrow's not promised so we got to live each day to its fullest for parents that have perfectly healthy children you're blessed you're blessed because 
one thing that really got me and still kind of gets me, well, maybe not so much not because of COVID, but when I would hear people say, oh, my God, I have to sit through another boring dance recital. Oh, I have to God. so how many more yeah. hours for this soccer practice? Oh, my God. Can I just finish? Brother, you don't know how bad I would love to go sit in a boring dance recital or a boring soccer practice just knowing that my daughter is there. These are things that people take for granted. And, you know, if your child draws on a wall, if your child doesn't want to eat their dinner, if their child spills their milk, just be thankful that your child's still there. And you can help us out also by being an advocate. You can share these stories. You can even put on your Facebook or Instagram, go gold, you know, for childhood cancer. The more gold we get out there, more people are being aware of what childhood cancer is. So, and don't be afraid if you know a family that has lost a child to cancer, don't be afraid to ask him about him or her. People have oddly and weirdly gone up to me and say, we don't know what to say or to ask you. I say, ask me about Mia. Ask me about her. I love speaking about her. And, you know, it's it, you're, you're going to get some tears because that is my baby girl that I love and she's not here anymore. But don't be afraid to mention to parents. And there's a lot of things that you should not tell a bereaved parent. Can if you talk to us about that? Yeah, okay. that's one of the things that I would... I would have when parent when some people I would meet him and they would tell me, oh my God, well you know my my mom died of cancer. I know what you're going through. Oh, my dog, I lost my dog and it, yeah, I lost my life. There's nothing wrong with that, you know. Some some people treat their dogs as their children and that's perfectly fine. But if somebody lost a child of cancer, don't compare and don't tell them that. When I would have people tell me that I know what you're going through, do you really? Have you lost a child? No, I haven't. Then politely stop talking. <laughs> you know, don't say anything anymore. There's some things that you shouldn't say. Me as a parent, I've had people ask me, but there's people that know my story that don't want to really get into it. And all they'll come up to me is say, you know what, Joel? I love you. I'm here for you. And give me a hug. That to me is better than you trying to say something that's only going to not anger me or trigger me, but I'll be like, really? And you can tell, same as other scenarios, cuando lo están haciendo, just because they have to know it's exactly. the right thing to do. Yeah. Instead of like, I really feel. Like, really mean it. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, there's there's a lot of things. And I know there's a parent in San Antonio who's writing a book uh, yeah. saying, you know, things you shouldn't tell a bereaved parent. Because there's, there's really a lot of things out there. Um, but, yeah, just, just uh, you know, have compassion and. You know, if you don't know what to tell him, don't tell him anything. Just hug him or high five or say, hey, let me buy you a burrito or let me buy you lunch. You want dinner or you want a cup of coffee or, hey, here's my number. Give me a call if you want to hang out. Anything, anything, you know. Um, so, yeah, I mean, we we love to, for the most part, all of us like to speak about our warriors because it keeps their memory alive. And it, and it shows that they were here and they fought and they're still making a difference somehow. Yeah. I'm so glad you shared that because personally, like yo diría, no, pues no diga nada because maybe you're going to bring back those memories uh -huh. and they're just going to be sad and now they're going to be depressed now. And But you're talking about it. And of course, what you do, it's, it's proof that, you know what, definitely there's people wanting to share the story. We want to impact other people as well. So like, I'm so glad you shared that, senor. So <laughs> I'm, I'm so thankful for today, senor. And 
And thank you again. I had a great time. I know continue doing, of course, what, what you're doing. You are impacting not only those families, but other people as well. So thank you so much. Let me now ask you the last question. Um, this is the same question I asked every guest. Oh, by the way, the question, you cannot answer food. And right now it's going to make sense as far as why. Okay. What is one thing you love about El Paso? We can't say food because it's just a given, by the way. And one thing that you will maybe change about our city or improve. Um, ooh, okay. Um, what I love about El Paso is, you know, I've had a lot of people um, from other cities, my, my best friend being one of them from Albuquerque. And as you travel to a lot of cities that I've had the opportunity to travel refing, um, people are not as nice as they are here in El Paso. I mean, there's, there's, yeah, there's some places that they're really rude and that's just their way of being. I mean, yeah, obviously the, the obvious one is going to be food, but what I like about El Paso is the friendliness. Um, I love the fact that people here are ultimately wanting the same thing. Um, they want to improve they want to be better people and just knowing that how Juarez has such a bad rap with the violence and everything how people here can can kind of come together when you really need to come together and just make this city better so uh, yeah that that would be probably even before the food i would say that how nice the people here are and other people that come into town they notice that as well you know how nice what would I change about our city? Um, interesting. Uh, I, I I might sound biased to this, but I, I what I would change about our city is, and I think it's kind of heading there in the in the right direction. You know, our medical school that opened up, it's only been open not that long, but I think we need to get more uh, specialty doctors here. Instead of having out-of-town doctors having to come in, um, I, this is one thing I didn't mention, but um, it, there's there's four different oncologists that do weekly rounds that are not from El Paso that come in here for childhood cancer. Um, so I, what I would change is I would try and bring more uh, medical awareness, uh, more uh, train or better train people and recruit people to stay here because there's a lot of people that have gone to medical school here a lot of people that i even i grew up with that are great doctors but they tend to practice somewhere else let's keep them here let's keep those good doctors here you know let's let's better our health care wow okay perfect says perfectly said sir thank you so much all right so once again again muchas gracias por todo for your time for your sharing the story that's all i have thank you guys adios